being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's hard for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Good morning, church. Buenos dias, mis hermanos y hermanas, y las bendiciones de Dios. Siempre es bueno verte. It's always good to see everyone. By the way, you would think by now, after all these years of me being up here in the pulpit, that both Joe David and Lance would realize they have three minutes, I have 30. I am impressed with Brother Lance for making a connection when I thought it will be impossible. <laughs> and I was hacked, the email was hacked a couple of weeks ago, and somebody calls me up and offers me gift cards. I get another call for, a, hey, Whit, I've got your cards. And, and then somebody else called and said, you know, why is it that in an age in which we live, that somebody would break the Eighth Commandment. They're just thieves. And I told the person, if I knew who it was, I would break the Sixth. <laughs> you may have to look that up. Exodus chapter 20, by the way, you know, you can do it when I'm, when I'm preaching. <clears throat> okay, um... I wasn't going to say anything, but I just have to comment on this backdrop. I can tell you that, especially when we're online now, and one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that now we're streaming our worship services to untold numbers. And so, I don't know, uh, there were several of us, I'm, I'm sure many, many people thought, you know, we need to have some sort of semblance of Christianity behind us. I, isn't that wonderful? And so it didn't take hardly any dialogue before uh, a team, um, Laurie led it, and, and um, I'm telling you, I'm just uh, thoroughly impressed. Um, the truth is, we are a Christian church, and the fact is, we serve a living Christ, and it's good for everyone who hears us and sees this, this image behind me to realize that we belong to Jesus. No one else, and we belong not to the crucifix, not to one who's still on the cross, but one who was risen from the dead. And we serve a living Christ, and I just love it, I love it, I love it. And I was very impressed to find out, I wasn't surprised because Brad's father also works with metal, he's a professional, so I wasn't surprised when I heard that Brad uh, and Mitch uh, formed this metal cross. So anyway, thank you so much for those of you who are involved. Now, I can tell you in 1970, 
Here's another military story, but it's going to connect to Philippians. By the way, we are continuing our Bible reset. We've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Uh, we didn't go through 2nd, but we tied it into 1st, Galatians, Ephesians, and now we're on Philippians. In 1970, long before many of you were even born, I was a young man. Uh, that was 50 years ago. I was a young guy overseas. I spent three years over there. Um, and I don't have a pointer, but I was, um, I was positioned just south of the Soviet Union, just south of the, of the Black Sea in what is in ancient times uh, Bithynia, Pontus. And you'll notice the Bosphorus Strait there between Thrace and Bithynia. That's where Istanbul, previous to that Constantinople, if you have your geography down, we're going to make a connection here real soon. But anyway, um, I, was, I had earned, I'd been there long enough to earn what we would call R&R, rest and relaxation. So myself and three other guys, little small little remote place where I was, and a handful of GIs were there. Um, and actually two of the ones who went with me uh, were baptized in the Sea of Marmara. One I baptized, the other uh, Alan Witten baptized, and both Alan, myself, Ricky, and Larry, the four of us, decided that we're going to take our leave, a few days of leave and, and, and relaxation, and we're going to leave that area of Turkey, and we're going to cross the Bosphorus Strait, which connects, of course, the Black Sea to the Sea of Marmara, to the Aegean, to the Mediterranean, and eventually, of course, to the Atlantic. But that Bosphorus Strait, and it also ties together to... Two, two continents, Asia and Europe. So we crossed over the Bosphorus, and we, had, we were driving a little bitty. I don't even know what it was. I think it was a Russian-made car. Uh, I mean, it would barely take four adults, but we, and we drove. We drove through what is now Macedonia, then Thrace, and we, went, we stayed overnight in the little town of Kavala, which is five kilometers outside of Philippi, and then we went down to Thessalonica, and from there to Athens, from Athens to Corinth, made the return trip, and then we just went back to work, where we were intercepting uh, Soviet transmissions for as long as we were there. Um, it was a marvelous time. I had never been to that part of the country. I'd never left the state of Texas until I turned 19, and that was, I went from Texas to Turkey, you know, the two T's, I guess. But in any case, well, Texas to Mississippi, and, you know, we're not going to track the that, but I end up here. Um, anyway, 1970, and um, it was the spring of 70. I was, I was 20 years old, and we decided to stay overnight in Kavala because the ancient ruins of Philippi were actual, actually ruins. Now, Saturday night, we arrived, and there was this great earthquake. I mean, it was a huge earthquake. It, 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 it started over in Turkey, but went all the way through and ended up, we were in, you know, Macedonia, and... Um, Earthquake. Now, I didn't know enough about Scripture, to be honest with you, to make the connection of Acts 16. I wish I would have, you know, with the Philippian jailer in that moment. But I can tell you that the next morning, the four of us went out to Philippi, and we uh, had a worship service right here. I mean, right here. I could even, if I had a pointer, I could point exact spot we were in. We were on about the second or third row toward the toward the center in, at, at the bottom. This is an amphitheater in Philippi. 
And we read Philippians. We had some juice and we had some unleavened bread. We broke bread. And we're talking four 20-year-olds. I mean, we were pretty dedicated. We were all, you know, I, I was kind of rededicated to the Lord. And two of these young men were for the first time in their lives. You know, it was a, it was a very um, unique time. Anyway, we read Philippians. It takes about 13 minutes, by the way, to read Philippians out loud. It's only four chapters, 102 verses. You can do it very quickly. I would recommend, we're going to be on this for five weeks. I would recommend that you read Philippians a minimum of maybe 20 or 30 times. You know, you could read it two or three times a week and still not interrupt your week. You can take, you could take 15 minutes a day and read it seven times. Um, at any rate, we were there and we read Philippians. Now, I can tell you that the Acts 16 moment, oh, by the way, we're gonna, since we're talking Acts 16, this is the prison, supposedly, that Paul and Silas were in. Now, let's very quickly, let me introduce the epistle to the Philippians. Of course, written by the great apostle Paul, probably um, around AD 62, he's in a Roman prison where he writes what has been later called the prison epistles of Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians and Colossians. It was written during Nero's reign around AD 62 to 63. Philippi was established by Paul, the church there, um, around AD 49 or 50. So, so the letter was written about 13 or 14 years after the congregation there had been established. Um, I want to remind us all that Philippi, and this will connect, so please allow me this first kind of historical moment and then we're gonna to get to the application. Um, but I can tell you that Philippi was a Roman colony, Roman colony. Now, that may not mean much in the first century, but in fact, it meant a lot as you read through. There were very few cities. In fact, Paul wrote 13 epistles. Uh, other than Romans, I can't think of another one that was written to a Roman colony. I mean, Ephesus was not a Roman colony. Rome controlled the, the entire known world at that time, at least the Roman world in the West, but there were very few colonies, meaning that they, that they took Roman citizens deliberately and they transplanted them to this colony. And so I can tell you Philippi was known for for having retired Roman military officers. That, that was their reward for serving in the Roman armies, all those legions, all those years. And so, and so the Senate would give them plots of land, acreages, and they did so only in Roman colonies, one of which. So you've got this Roman colony. What language did they speak in Philippi? Well, excuse me, isn't, isn't Philippi a, a, a Greek, you know, Macedonian Greek city? Well, yeah, Philip, you know, of Macedonia, his son Alexander the Great. Yeah, it was, but not when Rome was there, not when Rome made it a Roman colony. They didn't kick everyone out. They brought in a lot of Roman citizens. I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but at the, at the prison here, I want you to know that when Paul and Silas were over uh, in western Turkey, what is now western Turkey, um, they were in Troas, and Paul receives, Acts chapter 16, this Macedonian call. Someone, in the, someone from Macedonia through God's Holy Spirit told Paul, you know, uh, you know, shouted out, come over here, we need your help. So Paul knew 
that the vision was from God, so he and Silas changed their vector. They changed their direction. They weren't wanting to go to Macedonia. They were going down further south, you know, back where Ephesus and, and Pergamon and the seven churches of Asia were. But because of the Macedonian call, Paul and Silas changed their direction. They crossed the Aegean Sea, and they end up in Thrace. And then quickly they end up in Philippi. At Philippi, they met Lydia at the river. There's a beautiful river that runs right through it. Still there, the water's still flowing. Lydia was down at the river. She was a seller of purple. By the way, the Romans elevated women, not like we are today, of course, which, you know, has, as, as God created us, equal. But in the Greek culture, the woman was really low. But in the Roman culture, she was elevated a bit higher. And so a lot of women would then, they were, they were, um, they were attracted to go to Philippi where they could actually unfold their businesses. And Lydia was one of them. She becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, the church of Christ in Philippi met in Lydia's home. That's how important she was. And if you'll read Philippians, you, you know, um, Philippians 4 and verses 1 and 2 talks about uh, Euodia and Suntuke, two women. I mean, Paul, not only did, did Rome allow them some business uh, ad adventures, but, but Christianity itself elevated them. And so the only three people Paul talks about were women. Two were having a little concern of Paul, but Lydia was certainly elevated, and the church met in her home. <clears throat> I don't want to go on too much, but I would really like to just teach a historical class here for the next 60 minutes, but I've got, I've got to get to the application. Um, but I can tell you that, that, that while in Philippi, it was Paul who cast out a demon of a, of a slave girl and upset the owner. And anyway, the story goes, and most of you know the story, it's Acts 16. The story goes that Paul, the Bible says that Paul and Silas end up in a prison. They were beaten with rods, by the way. Paul was beaten with rods. That will come up later. He ends up in a prison. At midnight... On a particular day, there was a great earthquake. I believe the one at Kavala was just natural. I believe this one was sent by God himself. And the fetters, the chains fell off Paul and Silas's uh, feet and, and, and arms. The prison doors were open. All of the torches obviously just went black. Everything was black. The Philippian jailer felt like, you know, this is it. The prisoners have escaped. He was getting ready to commit suicide, to kill himself with his own sword. And Paul sees this and shouts out, don't harm yourself. We are still here. And what did the Philippian jailer say? Well, then get back in the cell. Hurry up. We're no. He had already heard them singing hymns and praying at midnight. No doubt he was impressed with the, with the words they were. He was, he was close to being a believer already. And then the great earthquake and the fact that they didn't run away for their lives. Who are these people? And so the only thing he asked was, men, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, Acts 16, 31, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your whole household. And then the Bible tells us, as Luke records this, he said, then they went to the Philippian jailer's home where Paul and Silas shared the word of the Lord. And when he was sharing, the, he was sharing the gospel. He shared the word of the Lord. Then the Bible says, that very hour of the night, they go back to the river where Paul met Lydia. 
and there the Philippian jailer and his household. They were all baptized into Christ, and the church began the body. And they met with Lydia, a Philippian jailer, a Roman jailer, was now in the house of Lydia worshiping God. The magistrate, when the next morning the magistrate realized they had escaped, they left, he said, let them go, let them go, it's no big deal. When Paul hears about it, he says, we're not going anywhere. I demand an apology from the magistrate. Why? <laughs> because they beat me with rods and I'm a Roman citizen. When the magistrate discovered that, he was afraid of uh, Philippi was under Roman rule, Roman law, and they did not speak Greek, they spoke Latin. Only really three main languages we have in Scripture, that's Latin, Greek in the New Testament, and Hebrew. In fact, if you remember in John 19 and verse 20, where uh, Pilate puts the sign on the cross, Jesus uh, king of the Jews, and it was written in how many languages? Three. What were they? Yeah, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Everyone in the known world outside of Rome, basically outside of Rome and North Africa, spoke Greek. In Rome, they spoke Latin, and every Roman colony, they spoke Latin. So, we find the establishment of the body of Christ in Philippi in a Roman colony. Now, every book of the Bible has a purpose. Paul penned 13 epistles, and every one of those epistles has a reason for writing. And we talk about the New Testament church and how we as the body of Christ in the 21st century, and I've told so many of my friends this across the world, we just want to be as close as we can to what Jesus established, what the, what the, the, the head of the church, you know, Matthew 16, upon this confession of faith, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot stop us from Busting down the gates, it will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. When the church starts to march through, the devil himself is impotent. Why? <laughs> because we have God. We have the Spirit of God living within us, and evil simply cannot stand up against that. And so the gates of hell will always prevail against, uh, always prevail, uh, God will always prevail against the gates of hell. But this is the body of Christ, and we really want to be as close as we can to the New Testament church. The question is, which one? Now, there are fundamental principles in every letter of the Bible, every in the New Testament, every church, and I think that's what we really try to emulate and choose to restore. But Paul wrote every epistle for a reason. He wrote Romans to clarify the gospel and unify the church. And, uh, and, and, and reveal God's righteousness, Romans 1.16. He wrote 1 Corinthians to correct all kinds of abuses. I mean, the Corinthian church was really mixed up. They were saved. They were just mixed up. They were novice. And they needed to grow and become disciples of Christ. 
They had a man living with the stepmother, you know. You had sexual immorality. You had, you had abuses in worship. You had abuses with the Lord's Supper. You had even abuses with the core of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Romans 15. In the book of, uh, uh, pardon me, that, that, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, you've got Galatians. And what were they doing, these churches in southern Galatia? Well, they were, um, they were perverting the gospel, Galatians 1 and verse 8. They were taking the blessed name of Christ and the power of the salvation message, that whole redemptive scheme, by the blood of Jesus we're saved, nothing that we do, and they were adding things to it. In this case, they were adding the law of Moses to it, and that's a perversion. And so Paul, you know, writes very strongly, you've got to cease and desist, stop this. Galatians 5, 4, you know, you who would be justified by the law, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Do you really want to continue down that road? Ephesians, Paul reminds the Ephesians, uh, you are called by God, redeemed by Christ, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, therefore, Ephesians 4, 1, uh, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I mean, every letter the great apostle penned, there was a purpose for it. And frankly, I, we only want to emulate the good, not the bad. And every epistle he penned, of the 13, 12 of them were written for a reason, and that reason was to correct a problem. Except Philippians. I guess you could include Philippians 4, 2 with the two ladies who were not in agreement, but wasn't a big thing. Paul spends two verses on him. I'm telling you, church, if there's ever a congregation in the first century that we would do well to pattern our lives after, individually and collectively, it's Philippians. Because Philippians is a joyful, joyful, joyful letter. Before we get to this first point, by the way, I'm going to give you an overview. That's why I spent so long in the first. We're not going to go on with every one of these four points, and there are four of them, with the same length of time that I just used to introduce this. Um, in fact, I can tell you that next week we're going to really unpack this text, Philippians 3.20 through the end of chapter 4. The week following, we're going to unpack the intimacy in Philippians 3, 6 through 10. The following week, we're going to unpack, we're going to look more deeply uh, into that great text, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and talk about service. And then we're going to conclude by going to chapter 1. I am reversing the order that Paul wrote in. These are building blocks of joy. Paul uses the word joy or its derivatives uh, at least 15 times. And we, in, in, in English... Uh, we use the word joy, joyous, rejoice, uh, gifts, <clears throat> grace, gracious, grateful. And we think they're all different words, but, and they are different words. They have a little different nuance to each one of them. But I can tell you that, that, that in, the, in the Greek language, they come from the same root word, the word for grace, charis. And chara is the word joy. So I've asked myself, as, as I've listened to Philippians and I've read it through countless times, is, is there a pattern? Is, because I want to be joyful. This has been a tough week, previous week. That's been, I think it's been a tough year. 
I want to be joyful. Well, tell me how to be joyful, God. Well, God says, well, okay, read. Read the Word. And if you're going to read a particular word, look at Philippians because they understood what joy was all about. They lived in a Roman city, and they were Greeks for the most part. And they were, you know, read Philippians. And here are the building blocks of joy, church. And we're going to, and, and Paul starts with one, two, three, four, but the foundation is citizenship, commonwealth. Once we understand what our commonwealth, where it really is, then we're wanting to be more intimate with Christ, to know Him better because we're going to be with Him for an eternity. And then we're going to want to emulate Christ in our service to others. And once we begin really serving others, we're going to bond together in true koinonia. And we're going to end up being very, very joyful. Okay, here's the text. Point number one, our commonwealth is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read the context, but I want to remind you that the context is in a Roman colony. Now, last week, we just went through an election. Half the nation's thrilled, half the nation's very disappointed and hurt. That's just the way sometimes some things are on this side of eternity. And the reason half the nation is thrilled and half the nation is hurt is because for the most part, at least I can speak for myself and you and we're proud Americans. I, I have traveled the world. I've lived overseas 12 years. I don't want to live anywhere in the world but right here. And there are a whole lot of people around the world who want to join me right here. Why? It's a great country. That's why. And so I'm a proud American. Do you know that in the church of God at Philippi there were proud Romans, retired officers, who spent their whole life serving Rome, and no doubt some of them came to Christ. The jailer was one, not a high Roman official, but he was in charge. And where did he end up the following Sunday? In Lydia's house. We know, we know that the church of God at Philippi was both Greek and Roman. And in the context of Philippians 3, and then into four, Paul really highlights this. He understands that I know many of you are proud of your heritage. You're proud Romans. You have a proud Hellenistic culture. But in the end, this is not our kingdom. In the end, our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven. And here we await for our king to come from heaven to claim his people, his children. And Paul thought so much of this that he spends in 102 verses, he spends a lot of time on the fact that your commonwealth, Philippian church, is not in Rome, and it's not tied to, to uh, Macedonia. It's not tied to Greece. Your real commonwealth, the moment you obeyed the gospel and became a Christian, your commonwealth far exceeds this. 
James says, what is our life? James 4.14, we are but a mist that appears for a little while and then we vanish. Now that might sound a little bit ominous, but in fact it's a wonderful reminder. Do I enjoy this life? Yes, I enjoy this life. I played, <clears throat> played golf last week on Thursday. Played with Wayne and Mike Wagner and a friend of Mike's, another fireman who retired. In fact, I can recall thinking, man, I'm just having a wonderful time. I told Wagner, I said, you know, I'm, you know when I leave the pulpit, I might go on the senior tour. And he said, Whit, they don't have a senior plus tour. I told Debbie, I said, I want to go on, let's, let's, I want to go on tour when I step down from the pulpit. And she said, I'll caddy. <laughs> well, I tell you, church, she has a better time of, better chance at caddying than I do of playing. <laughs> In any case, we, I love this land. I love this world. I love this moment. And so do you. There are so many things God has blessed us with. Our families, our friends. My goodness, you look at the, na the, the nations of the world and we above all people are so blessed. I've been staying in contact always, but this week especially with my older brother Gary. And we've talked about the blessings that God has given both of us. Not just materially, but spiritually in Christ. So we need to remind ourselves, church, that in the end, our life is a mist. It appears for a little while, and then it's gone. But this is not our permanent residence. This is not, this is temporal. We're looking for something eternal, and it, it's absolutely a sure thing. Our commonwealth is in heaven, uh, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second block of building joy is once we understand that our citizenship is not in America forever, we love our country, but it's not here, our, our citizenship is on the other side of eternity. And here we await the coming of our king. The moment we really understand that, then things start to lighten up. They become more joyful. Not giddy, happy, I mean deep down joyful. Like, I'm not in control, I'm so glad you are. And as long as you're in control of my life, I can sing praises and pray at midnight if I have shackles on. Because I know in the end, real soon, the shackles will fall off and I'll be caught up together with my Lord. And there to be with all the saints forever and forever. And the more I understand that, the closer I want to get to God. So Paul writes, Philippians 3, 6 through 10, this, this is a small portion. Paul writes, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Well, what did Paul consider about those losses? I can tell you, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and following, Paul, who was a Roman citizen, was beaten no fewer than, he says, five times I received 40 lashes less one, 39, at the hands of the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods, the hands of the Romans. Once I was stoned, the hands of the Jews. Now do the math. That's nine times his back was flayed. And Paul said that was nothing compared to the worth of knowing Christ, my Savior. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And it goes on to say, and, count, and I count them, it's a crude word, I count them as refuse, as dung, 
All of these things the great apostle went through, he said it's no more than excrement compared to the worth of knowing Christ. And he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We need to be intimate with God. You think God wants just to know you just in passing? It's like, you know, think about your, your, your spouse. When Tim made, met Angela, uh, Angela, Angie, forgive me. When I'm, I'll stay with, stay with Mike and Debbie. I know them really well. But when, when I met Debbie, not the first time, she was three, but when she was grown, I wanted to know more than what have you been doing for the last three years. I wanted more of a connection. Eventually, I wanted a ring. I didn't want a girlfriend only. I wanted a ring. I wanted permanency with this lady forever. I wanted to, to be intimate with her. In, in all kinds of ways, I wanted intimacy. Well, let me tell you, body of Christ, God doesn't want to date you. He wants your ring. He wants to marry you. That's what it's all about. He is the groom. We are the bride. He wants intimacy with us. Paul understood that. That's why Paul could sing songs of joy at midnight in a... In a, in a um, uh, Philippian prison in A.D. 50. He knew that. Intimacy. So the first stop is citizenship, intimacy, and, and service. We're going to unpack all these later on, one at a time. This is an incredible passage. So Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves. Keep in mind now what he's talking about. You know where your true commonwealth is. You know the fact that, that you and Christ are married, that you're intimate. Therefore, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ our groom, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a, the, the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and where? Under the earth, the dead. And every tongue confess. In heaven, Michael the archangel, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He took the form of a servant. Don't let that escape you. You want joy? Joy doesn't come in being the master. Joy doesn't come in controlling people and coercing and, and, and coercing. It doesn't come by me enforcing myself on you, even if I have the power. And there are a lot of people today in this world who consider leadership just like that. Just force, force, pressure. And God says there's no joy in that. And there isn't. Look at them. <laughs> Look at them. I mean, you could peel them off one at a time. They're miserable. Paul had nothing. But he was ecstatic. Why? He knew he was just passing through. 
and where his real home was. He knew Jesus intimately. He was a servant. And once you understand all of that, why then it's easy to have true koinonia, the word in Greek for fellowship, partnership. You want us, the more we go through the first three, the more we appreciate fellowship. That's why, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the young. I'll use myself. I loved the Lord when I was 12 years old, but I love him far more now. Well, how can that be? I had this child as 12, and I was more innocent then, without a doubt. I was more, more, you know, I was more, maybe more in the kingdom, if you'll use that moment with Jesus as a child. But I've grown, and the more I understand, I didn't really get it at 12. I really wasn't supposed to, but I get it now, church. I get it now. I know that we're just passing through. I know that my real intimacy needs to be with Christ, not anything else, real intimacy. I know that, therefore, once I become intimate, all I want to do is serve in any way. I don't want any glory. I'm, I'm, you know, you can just plug you in here. I mean, this is where we need to be. And then when I do that, we have, I have greater fellowship. Now, this is how Paul closed. Paul closed with all of these four things in mind in chapter 4, and he closed with one of the same words he began with. Philippians 4.10, he said, I rejoice in the Lord. And then he said, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. These are great times. We live under God's rule and his reign. We are the family of God. And we are one happy, joyful people. It may perplex the world, but it doesn't perplex us. And the more we can communicate that, like Paul did to the jailer, the more they're going to meet in Lydia's house. And they're going to be joyful, because that's what God intends. Spend time in prayer, brothers and sisters. In the next few moments, I invite us to stand, the elders to come forward, and for Joe David to lead us in a song. Give God the glory now and forever. And all of his people said, Amen. Amen.